Well, hello, Clergy Chick listeners. Thanks for tuning in. If ever you want to give to that which makes it happen, give to my church, Chapel by the Sea, on Clearwater Beach, Florida. You can text GIVE to 727-222-1336. And as always, this is the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From November 22nd, 2020, at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, the text is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer to them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to the, one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In 2015, there was a country music singer named Drake White. And he released a song called Living the Dream. And here are some of the lyrics from it. I won't sing it for you. Everybody say we wouldn't make it, baby. Love don't live round here much lately. Times are hard and hearts break like the bank. Ah, yes, they do. Lots of reasons just to give it on up. Leave your soul on the shelf collecting dust. Live in a world of broken promises and empty tanks. Oh, but look at us. Look at us with a picket fence. Don't got a lot of money, but we're making a dent. Old Ford truck with a dog in the back. 
Now, ain't we living the dream? Big blue sky, green, green grass, ain't doing half bad for a half full glass. Kiss me, baby, yeah, just like that. Now, ain't we living the dream? It's got at least two of the qualifications for a good con country song, doesn't it? It's got a truck and a dog. <laughs> you have to say a dog like that when you're talking about a country song. Living the dream. You know this phrase. It's often used sarcastically, right? Somebody, you know, will ask you while you're, I don't know, cleaning a toilet, how you doing, man? I'm living the dream here. <laughs> To the best of my knowledge, this is a kind of a play on the, the uh, phrase, the American dream. We all know the American dream, right? This set of values, this kind of American ethos that we have a white picket fence, which is named in the country song. We have two cars at least, maybe 2.5 kids, I think it is. I, I've always wondered about the 0.5. That seems a little weird to me, the 0.5 kids. That's the American dream, and this is the, the, the values, the ethos that's been handed down to us from our forebears. But sometimes, as a person of faith, and, you know, maybe it's an occupational hazard, I, I tend to wonder if God's dream and the American dream line up with one another, if they're aligned, if the American dream is, is simpatico, right, with God's dream for the world. Is that an occupational hazard, or do you wonder that, too? <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads. But how do we know what God's dream for the world is? How do we know if this value system lines up with God's ethos? Well, I've got one clue, and I'm holding it in my hand now. And particularly this passage from Matthew 25 gives us a pretty clear understanding of how God judges the dream of the world, right? What is God's dream for the world? How will God judge us as living into that dream? Uh, first part of it, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate people one from another as sheep as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep at his right hand. You guys get to be the sheep today. Puts the goats at his left hand. Guess what you guys are today? And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Blessed are you, sheep. As for you people, <clears throat> there's another thing coming for you guys, you goats over here on the left. This imagery of the Son of Man coming, sitting on his throne, the nations gathered around. This is a vivid picture. Can you maybe see that in the imagination, in your mind's eye? Can you paint a mental picture there? The nations all gathered around the Son of Man on the throne. 
the image I get is the best I can do is think about the Olympics, you know, the opening celebration when all of the, the, the flags come out and the athletes coming behind the flags and, and it's a big processional of nations with all the colors of the flags and into the arena where they're going to have the opening ceremony. That's what I think when I think about the nations of the world gathered around the throne of the Son of Man, except it's the opening ceremony on, on steroids, right? It's not just the athletes, it's everybody, it's the whole world gathered around the Son of Man on his throne. And that's a, an interesting picture, and, and the commentators tell us that there are two ways you could interpret this, and, and, you know, they're divided. You can maybe interpret it one or the other, or maybe even both. That the Son of Man will judge the nations of the world, perhaps it means that as individuals within those nations, that the Son of Man will judge us as individuals and will call some to be sheep and some to be goats. And the other way you could interpret it is that the Son of Man will divide nations. And so whole entire nations. So this nation will be sheep and this nation will be goats. So Bolivia and Guatemala, whatever, will be sheep. And, and Madagascar and Switzerland will be goats. Whatever. Random countries I pulled out there. And so we don't know exactly what Jesus had in mind when he, when he said this. Is it individuals or is it nations or maybe both? So let's, let's assume maybe it's both. That, that, that the judgment day will have us represent not only our individual selves, but the people that we associate with in our own countries. That's the two ways. Now before I get too much further in this, this is apocalyptic language. And throughout the Bible, we, we have this kind of writing, this apocalyptic language. And a lot of people try to literalize it, like to try to make this apocalyptic language literal. And, and I would suggest not doing that. I don't think that's the proper way to read this. It's, it's metaphor. And this apocalyptic language that we find in the Bible is almost always, or in the Bible it is always, written from the perspective of an oppressed culture people who are oppressed and marginalized. And when Matthew was writing, the Christians that he was writing to were oppressed. Not only were they oppressed by the Roman Empire, but they were oppressed by the Jews that they were uh, emanating from, their own people, the Jews. And so they were oppressed. And, and so Matthew uh, is writing and saying that Jesus said to these people to give them a hopeful view. Maybe the world won't be set right during our lifetimes, but in the end times, everything will be made right. And those who treated you well, you're the least of these because they're the oppressed people that he's writing to. Whoever treats you well will be made a sheep and will have the blessing of God. Whoever treats you poorly will have the curse and not be treated so well in the afterlife. This is the hopeful view. You can almost hear Jesus' followers hearing Jesus say this going, yeah! This world's not so good for us, but the next world, yeah! That's what I'm talking about, Jesus. There's this doctrine that emanates out of the Catholic tradition, and Methodists also subscribe to it, and maybe other uh, Christian traditions and the doctrine is called the preferential option for the poor. Have you ever heard about this? The preferential option for the poor. And it's a doctrine um, that suggests that throughout the scripture, God prefers or favors the poor and expects those who aren't the poor to stand in solidarity with the poor. And this is a, this is a, a doctrine that is, is still very important in, in these traditions. 
but when the Methodists were, were kind of forming in our country, uh, and this became one of their doctrines, it, it prompted them to be a part of the Underground Railroad, you know, the escape from slaves from the south up to the north, the Underground Railroad. Methodists participated in that. It also prompted Methodists to get rid of uh, box pews. You know, the, you, have you ever been to a church that had pews and they were boxes and little gates or doors? Up north you see this a lot, old churches usually. And what would happen in those churches is, is the rich people would buy the pews, the good seating, right? So all, the, all you people would be the rich people in the good seating, right, in your box pews. And then the poor saps in the back maybe would have to stand or whatever. And so the Methodists got rid of this. Why? Because of the doctrine of the preferential option for the poor. This is still an important part of Catholic teaching. In fact, Pope Francis not too long ago said that the preferential option for the poor is non-negotiable. Here's what Catholic social teaching says about the preferential option for the poor. The moral test of a society is how it treats its most vulnerable members. The poor have the most urgent moral claim on the conscience of the nation. We are called to look at public policy decisions in terms of how they affect the poor. The option for the poor is not an adversarial slogan that pits one group or class against another. Rather, it states that the deprivation and powerlessness of the poor wounds the whole community. The option for the poor is an essential part of society's effort to achieve the common good. A healthy community can be achieved only if its members give special attention to those with special needs, to those who are poor and on the margins of society. And the primary text that they use uh, in the development and in, and in the perpetration of this doctrine is, guess what text? Matthew 25, the, the least of these passages that I read to you earlier. That's the key text for this whole thing. Especially the part where Jesus says to the people, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you tended me. I was a prisoner and you came to visit me. And the people were confused by this in this parable that Jesus tells. Well, when were you sick? When were you in prison? When were you hungry or thirsty? And Jesus said, what? Whenever you do this to the least of these, you do also unto me. So as a nation, if, if this preferential option for the poor is legit, and maybe, maybe you're debating that in your mind, or maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but if you agree with this, even if you don't, <laughs> How are we faring? Like, how do we line up? If this is God's dream for the world, that we, that we would favor the poor and stand in solidarity with the poor and vulnerable and marginalized, how are we faring as a nation, as a state, as a county, as a church, and as individuals? On this Christ the King Sunday, which, by the way, is the final Sunday of the Christian year. Did you know this? That the, that the new Christian year begins on the first Sunday of Advent, which is next Sunday. And so this is the final Sunday of the Christian year, and it's the culmination. It's celebrating Christ the King. But this king language is a little bit foreign to us as Americans because we don't have a king, we don't have a monarch. And so this king language, I've been a part of a couple of clergy discussions where, uh, where the question is asked, how do we replace that language with something that, fits our situation better. 
kingdom of God. What would we put in place of kingdom of God? And so some of the suggestions from my fellow clergy members are, well, we could say reign of God. That, that seems a little better for us as Americans since we don't have a king. What about realm of God? Maybe that would be okay. But my favorite suggestion is this, that the kingdom of God language be replaced with this phrase, the dream of God. That God has a dream for our world. And our task as Christians is to get busy living the dream. So our charge as people of God is to make sure that we're busy taking care of the least of these. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was a prisoner and you visited me. God's dream for the world is that the least of these be taken care of. And our charge is people who are pretty comfortable. Most of us are fairly comfortable. This text, I like to think of this text as one of those texts that comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And so every time I hear this text, I'm afflicted (laughs) because I'm pretty comfortable. I know that God's dream for the world is that the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed be taken care of. And I I wonder if I'm doing enough. And I wonder if we are doing enough. And so I'm afflicted. So people of God, our charge today on this culmination of the Christian year is to find ourselves getting busy living God's dream. Working on behalf of the least of these with our voices, with our prayers, and with our deeds. I close with the words of a hymn. It's in some of the Lutheran hymn books. It says this, O Christ, what can it mean for us to claim you as our king? What royal face have you revealed whose praise the church would sing? Aspiring not to glories, height, to power, wealth, and fame. You walked a different, lowly way. Another's will your aim. Though some would make their greatness felt and lord it over all, you said the first must be the last, and service be our call. O Christ, in workplace, church, and home, let none to power cling, for still through us you come to serve a different kind of king. Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.